It is said that the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. That is true enough, but there's a deeper meaning we ought to grasp. We need to understand why sanity is embraced willingly by so many people over so over such long periods of time. Insanity is what people are familiar with. Insanity is living a lie because the lie has become familiar. And most of us are frightened to let go of what is familiar. The seriously troubled person is rendered functionally useless or even dangerous by the fantasies and illusions that occupy their conscious mind. We ought not to minimize the real mental problems of the truly sick, but the bigger problem is the fear that causes them to hang on to a way of life, despite the pain that it causes. This is not meant to be a psychopathology of what are called conventional mental illnesses. There is a vast amount of unsustainable behavior that requires an explanation. Conservatives have been kicked around for 5,000 years. Like a beaten dog, we keep coming back to a system that has never been kind to us. Even the name conservative has come to mean someone resisting progress. We have the image of nervous liberals trying to slow down the social evolution of mankind. We are what liberals refer to as people kind. Even our belief in the Bible is viewed as a holdover from prehistoric times. God tells us there is a spiritual war being waged. Unlike the way liberals view the world, who think everything is relative, the Bible tells us this is a war between two irreconcilable realities. The Bible calls the members of these two viewpoints the sheep and the goats. Such abstract lines do not exist in the reality of liberals. Liberals admit there are arguments between people and even wars, but there is still only one reality. Some people may not have a good grasp of what is true, they say, but we are all contained within the one gigantic structure we know of as reality. If there is confusion in the Bible and uncertainty, it is not about the existence of a deep, sharp, and unbridgeable division between two ways of thinking and seeing the world. The Bible calls this a war against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in the highest places. This is a war for our minds. It is certain that in talking about the highest places, the Bible is not referring to battles on mountaintops. The reference could be about political leaders and social and economic elites. It seems a better understanding would be the evil in our thinking and our concepts and the very ideas that motivate us, such as ideas of liberty and democracy. This war that we are in is a war of paradigms. Another way of thinking about this is as a war 
between governing principles or first order principles. It's a war about what our mental priorities or systems of organization are. There are other terms we could and have looked at elsewhere that mislead us, but who is there who will criticize democracy or liberty? Of course, there are people who will tell us certain forms of democracy are better than others. No one rejects democracy wholesale. The more restrictive a democracy is, the less desired, the less democratic it is. But then at some point, expanding the vote to more and more persons becomes a self-defeating exercise. No one wishes absolutely everyone to have a vote. For example, children. It does not take much discussion to realize that direct democracy and simple majorities have a tendency to become tyrannies of the majority. But if the majority vote doesn't, not, does not rule, then why do we revere democracy so much? Why the reverence for what has to be manipulated in order to make it useful? Athenian democracy was little more than a debating society of idle landowners whose leisure has been enabled by slaves. This was not a good start for democracy. It's not that people think the democratic vote is an unmitigated good. Indeed, if honest, most people would admit they fear being tied to the decisions made by their fellow men. We create such things as electoral colleges, representative political leaders, and quorums to block and frustrate the simple process of democracy. But the real problem of democracy is rarely discussed. It is the elephant in the room no one sees or admits to seeing. That is, a democratic vote cannot be anything more than a group deciding who has the right of power to decide how the spoils will be divided. Democracy is a pride of lions and a pack of jackals, establishing which group decides how the carcass will be shared, regardless of who killed it or who found it. The spoils disputed may not be the spoils of war, but the division of them is dependent on the voters having greater power than those that produced the asset or the thing that is being divided. Democracy is a plight, an orderly way for the bigger and the stronger gang to have their way without violence against smaller groups. We see birds and animals creating displays of power to avoid violent confrontations. Democracy is mankind's way of displacing violence onto an election. Democracy is a classic displacement activity as defined by behavioralists. The dirty little secret that no one wishes to talk about is that democracy is unjust and must be. It cannot ever be a just activity. Democracy is sharing goods after the fact. The democratic process can only happen after someone has given us something to be democratic about. There must be a pie created before there is a pie divided. 
before we can discuss how something will be divided, a hard-working person must create the thing that will be shared. The only way dem democracy makes sense is if the ones dividing the pie have more power than the ones who baked the pie. Democracy is predicated on two principles. Might makes right, and the end justifies the means. If there's no pie, or if the dividers of the pie have less power than the producers, there is no democracy. Democracy is the plaything of powerful people who produce less than they consume. For the producers of wealth, democracy is the last thing wanted or needed. Democracy exists only among freeloaders who use it to glorify power over justice, who use it to legitimize their use of power. Before deciding what to do with the pie, and before we start appointing people to divide the pie, it would be nice if we asked who owns this pie. Social problems stem from one simple and irrefutable fact. The ones dividing the pie are rarely the ones doing the baking. There is only one foundation for legitimizing the sharing of what you did not create, and that is raw, unrestrained power. Democracy, which is the most perfect example of the application of raw power, to resolving moral problems applies a double principle of power. The double principle states that might makes right in the end justifies the means. Either ownership matters or it does not. If power is all that matters, then democracy is sufficient for our purposes. If this is the case, join the liberal and democrat parties. If we believe ownership is significant, significant, then we need to rethink the foundations of our social systems. The question that confronts us in the form of a choice is do we support democracy in the application of raw power or do we support the sovereign rights of owners? If ownership is important to us, who created the things of value? Who has a right to authorize governments or states to claim and allocate the world's natural resources. We who create do not create anything belonging to nature. If no person or group of persons has a valid claim to the world's natural resources, the world needs a new basis on which to form society. Truth is not determined by the popular vote, and democracy is not a way to resolve moral issues, at least not in a just and equitable manner. Does anyone believe truth is decided by popular opinion? If not, then how can the direction of society be decided by vote? Democracy is not even about popularity so much as about those who have the most to gain from who wins the election. It is not the people who pick governments, it is the voters. It is not the people who want nothing from governments, who are most likely to vote, nor is it those who promise to do nothing, who are likely to run for office. 
democracy favors the freeloader and the fraudster or the demagogue. The demagogue and the beggar have the most to gain from participating in a democratic election. Ought conservative politicians go to the people and promise they will remove all benefits and work to eliminate ownership of capital? The more things we take and the fewer benefits offered, the less likely we will be elected. How can we use democracy to eliminate democracy? Why we the people use their freedom to eliminate freedom? The social institutions of liberalism are all on a one-way street. This same issue is a problem for libertarians and anarchists. No one wants to give up what they get from the government. They want everyone else to have their benefits reduced or eliminated. Why fire politicians who promise to do everything for you and charge someone else for the work? This is not what happens, but it resembles a politician's stump speech. For conservatives, however, the reality is that democracy leads to tyranny irrevoc irrevocably and steadily, and it cannot be stopped by more democracy. Politicians must make promises. The promise, promises must be paid for, and it is the producers of wealth that must pay for these promises. Promises go to the least energetic and the bill to the most productive. The balance of power must always favor those who stand to gain the most from socialist governments and have the least to risk from tyranny. The more society can be divided by race and wealth, the more Democrats can align with those who look to a demagogue for political redemption. If you are not a person who wants a free ride, Democracy puts you at a disadvantage. Democracy benefits socialists and freeloaders, but not pie bakers or other self-reliant persons. If conservatives are not dependent on the state, and if we are not waiting for handouts, why expose ourselves to the risk represented by the state? For liberals, the state represents security. For those who are only seeking justice, the promise of security, especially when it culminates in support for freeloaders, poses a serious risk and threat to the justice we are after. Liberty and justice are not compatible. How can there be justice if we have been guaranteed liberty? Does someone earn liberty, or do they have a right to liberty? The Constitution of the United States claims that people are entitled to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness and that these rights are inalienable endowed by the Creator. Which Creator are we talking about? Where in Scripture does it say people are entitled to liberty? Which chapter and verse is Jesus telling us we have an inalienable right to the pursuit, not the achievement, mind you, of happiness? The Declaration of Independence would have us believe liberty in the pursuit of happiness is an inalienable right. Personally, I do, not, I do not see this lived out in the life of Jesus. Why do we only want justice when we think we have lost it? Why do we need justice only when we think it is absent? Without justice, nothing else matters. Where in the founding documents is a guarantee of justice? 
The Bill of Rights gives the people a few protections under the law, but nowhere is there a wholesale overarching right to justice, as is provided in the Declaration. However, the Fathers do recognize the problem of justice and democracy, as provided in Federalist 51. I quote, It is of great importance in a republic not only to guard the society against the oppression of its rulers, but to guard one part of the society against the injustice of the other part. Different interests necessarily exist in different classes of citizens. If a majority be united by a common interest, the rights of the minority will be insecure. There are but two methods of providing against this evil. The one by creating a will in the community independent of the majority, that is, of the society itself, the other by comprehending in the society so many separate descriptions of citizens as will render an unjust combination of the majority of the whole very improbable, if not impractical. What value is liberty or democracy if the cost is justice? It, do we want freedom so badly we will accept slavery? It is a preposterous question, and yet, if liberty is treated as a first-order principle, then are we not saying that for the sake of freedom we will sacrifice justice? Liberty is centered on the ego, on the individual. Libertines may well be willing to sacrifice justice for freedom. After all, what is justice to a libertine who looks to expand moral freedom? How many conservatives want liberty at any cost? Will you stay out of jail by seeing an innocent man put in your place? Many people claim the price of liberty is never too high. But this is not said from a place where a Christian virtue is protected. A Christian wants freedom only after justice is assured. Justice is the first and highest priority, at least for conservative Christians, should be. What the Bible teaches is that the law is not a moral vehicle. Democracy is not a path to truth. Liberty cannot be made consistent with justice. Justice that is not prioritized is not justice. Messianics is the science of truth and justice. Exchanges of the courts of personal justice. Justice belongs to the peoples, not to elites. Trial by jury of peers is not a trial administrated and supervised by those who feel superior to us. The laws of the elites and the freedoms of the entitled are not the rock on which justice rests. The law is never just, but the law is always an opinion that represents an ideology and a perspective. Laws regulate behavior at best and oppress the people at worst. Justice is not served by stopping at a red light nor in permitting one person to profit from the rights and privileges given to him by the law. Justice is intimately linked to the market. Why this is so ought to be easy to see. In fact, the free market is the most basic form of justice, even if those participating in it do not understand this is what is being promoted. 
But if we are to understand why a free market is a manifestation of justice, we need to understand what injustice is. Justice is divided into four types of forms. Distributive justice. This is determining who gets what. Procedural justice determines how fairly people are treated. Retributive justice is based on punishment for wrongdoing. And restorative justice tries to restore relationships to a state of rightness. Justice must be fair, equal, and accessible. Most writers equate justice with fairness, assuming there is a state in which things are fair. The idea of fairness assumes we are entitled to a condition that mankind has determined to be fair. But we cannot extract fairness from the law. We can be treated fairly by the law. This is not to say the law is fair to begin with. Needless to say, most people think the law is fair when it benefits them and is unfair when it impedes them. But we all know there is no law that prevents law or the legal system from being unjust. Few if anyone equates justice with the law. If anything, the law is viewed as an attempt to codify what is just. Therefore, justice defines and validates the law. The law does not define justice. At best, the law codifies, codifies what people feel may be fair. Conservatism has always been associated with the protection of tradition and the ancient ways of doing things. This portrayal or representation is too general to be of use and has often put conservatives in the position of urging caution to needed change while supporting methods long past the time when they were useful or necessary. If we understand conservatism as support for justice, our actions will be viewed in a better light. It may seem to be desirable to increase immigration and improve the social safety net in the mind of liberals, but opposition to open borders and guaranteed care is not a sign of sociopathy. The passerby who helps a victim of robbery is not an enemy of free enterprise, nor does it mean he is against people trying to lift himself up by their own initiative. The man stopping a robbery is trying to prevent an injustice. The comparison is not absurd. The conservatives are against the reforms of liberals is not due to being against freedom, but being for justice. Charity given to people from a person's own pocket is not welfare. Welfare is given from the pockets of other people who may or may not support the initiative. Not everyone can afford to support your pet project or agree with it. For this reason, conservatives need to rebrand conservatism as the party of justice. This has the, has the added advantage of being something liberals cannot upstage. They're not going to ever be the party of justice. All too often, policy initiated by conservatives is pushed with more energy and less cost to those benefiting it by liberals. Liberals cannot upstage a conservative support of justice without looking absurd. 
Liberalism is not consistent with justice. Con liberalism is the party of freedom. For more on this topic, why not follow us on Twitter and like our U YouTube channel called Justice Rising. Write us with your questions and comments to misscianic at misscianic.com. Thank you for listening.